As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Merry Christmas. Man, I don't know about you, but that's a way to kick off Christmas right there. Let's praise God right now for his goodness. And for his grace, thanks Ethan and the team for leading us into God's presence. I don't know, I felt it. Did you feel it? I felt something that I believe is God in the house and God in the room as he leads us. I love Christmas. Do you guys love Christmas? You're not convincing me that you love Christmas. I mean, come on, it's a good time of the year, man. I mean, just all this stuff that's going on. So, So I wonder how much you know about Christmas. Let me, this isn't a test. But let me give you some things, some ask you some questions about Christmas. Did you know that last year we spent over $800 billion at Christmas? That is a lot of cash, isn't it? But you say, how does that relate to me? Well, this year it's predicted in 2021 that each of us will spend $886 per Christmas. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm way over that. Others are saying, man, I only put down 50 bucks. You better get going. You only got 50 more. You only got five more days of shopping. Now, did you know this? That I wonder if you knew that the average family, how many people are traveling this Christmas? You're going to be heading somewhere? Well, the average family, for those who put your hands up, I don't know if it's true. They say you travel 275 miles. Man, that's a long way, isn't it? I ain't going nowhere this Christmas. I'm just going to sit home and let those kids give me some gifts for once. What else about Christmas? This is a statistic that blew my mind. 15,000 people go to the ER, the emergency room, at Christmas in December. Do you know why? Putting up Christmas ornaments and lights. Now, I don't know when you drove in. It's a little crazy. I just came in from wheat and our parking lot's all messed. You know, we got a 40-foot reindeer out here. <laughs> and I'm thinking about this. It's 40 feet. Somebody's just like, really? It is. I mean, and I didn't measure it, but I'm guessing with those kind of statistics, I'm hoping nobody got hurt on that thing putting it up. But what else about Christmas? Well, some musicians in the room, they'll know that Silent Night was actually, it's the most recorded song in history. It has over 700 versions that are copyrighted since 1978. And do you know that song, Jingle Bells, that we sing? That song is actually a Thanksgiving song. Did you know that? And it was under the title, you can guess this, One Horse Open Sleigh. Why is it a Christmas song? I, I don't know. I'm just telling you this stuff. I don't know. Now, there's a family. There's a family in Michigan. And I, you know, you read this stuff and you wonder if it's true. They say they have a fruitcake that's 141 years old. Now think about that with me. It probably tastes the same as it did the day that they got it. But the reason it's 141 years old is because they pass it down from generation to generation. So somebody just said, I love that. She goes, nobody would want it. <laughs> well, with that, I have a fruitcake. And so I've got a fruitcake, according to the internet, where I ordered four of these this weekend. This is the best fruitcake in the world. And so this beautiful tin, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this fruitcake away. 
And I'm going to give it, though. I see some people that want it really bad. And you got to commit to me that you're going to keep it, and you're going to pass it down from generation to generation. So this is a monumental moment here at High Point, man. So Craig, can you help me out? And, and if you're ready to take this challenge, I'm a competitive person. Come on, who's ready to take this challenge? Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I can see over here. <laughs> And, and you know what? I know, you, I know who's getting it, and I know he's not waiting that long. You better, Craig, if you give it to him, hold on. You better at least not start it by the, and finish it by the end of the service. Okay, last question. Okay, Craig, I think we're taking it away from them right now. Last question. Are you ready for this one? I mean, I couldn't believe this to be true when I found this out. I mean, Mary and Joseph... They went back to the manger with Jesus on the second Christmas. They went all the way back and they traveled to the second Christmas because what did they want to do? They wanted to show Jesus the animals and they wanted to take some selfies. And I don't think so. I don't know what they did on the second Christmas. Well, hold on for a moment. The Bible actually tells us about the next Christmas. And it's a story that many of us are familiar with in Matthew chapter 2. But most of the time, it's some well-known individuals, three or more. And we know the story, but we think it happened during the first Christmas. But it actually happened during either the second or the third. And so I want to take a look at this story with you. It's in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read from it. And I want us to respond like these well-known people did to the second or third Christmas, I want us to respond to this Christmas in the same way. Let me read from Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. So everybody knew the religious leaders, and verse 6 is a quote from the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means lest among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them in Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word and I too come to worship him. Yeah, right. After listening to the king, they went on their own way so they didn't do what he asked. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by a different way. Hey, let me summarize today's message in one sentence. It goes like this. Christmas is a time to seek the king, surrender to the king, serve the king, and share the king. That's what Christmas is about. That's what I would suggest to you as a result of these men. 
they celebrated the second or third Christmas in this way. And so my challenge to each of us today is simply this. And if you're watching online, we want to challenge you to respond to Christmas in the same way that they did. Let's take a look first at these four words. We'll take each one one at a time. Let's talk about seeking the king. It says in Matthew chapter one, and it kind of lays the groundwork for us, excuse me, verse one of chapter two. It says, catch this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So that puts a question in your mind. It wasn't when he was born, it was after. How long after? That's what we're trying to get to. And by the end of our time together, you'll see there's many clues and facts in here that show that this wasn't the first Christmas. But who was ruling where Herod the king was ruling and he ruled for over 30 years in this Judea and this area. Think when you think Herod, think of Ebenezer the Scrooge. Are you with me? I mean, this wasn't a guy who was really into Christmas at all, as we'll soon see. And he said he wanted to worship this king, but that's not really the case. And don't be fooled by him seeking after this king. He was a person who wound up killing a lot of people, which we'll see in a moment, but he even killed some of his family members, and he was so cruel, he killed his wife. I mean, this was not a good guy. But then it says this, and we see the people we're looking at, it talks about the wise men from the east. And so we oftentimes think to ourselves, and in our manger scenes, that there was three of them, right? But we don't know exactly how many wise men there were. I don't know, have you ever had some people that go in on a gift with you? Like you go in on a gift and hey, you know, you give one gift and there's like three or four of you, you pull the money together and, and you get the gift. And when that happens in my house, I'm like, man, this is gonna be a good gift. They, they all pulled all the cash together, all the girls, man. They must have, I mean, this is gonna be unbelievable. And then you open it up, let's not go there. <laughs> but isn't it true that sometimes we go in on gifts? And that could have happened here. Someone suggests that the, there was probably five, six, 12, possibly even 15 of these wise men. Who were they? Well, some people call them kings and some say they were magi and that's a Greek translation of the word wise. And what exactly were they? Well, they were following a star. We know that from the text. And so most commentators would agree that they were astronomers or astrologers. And I think that's interesting because God used what they knew to lead him as they seeked him. That was their divine intervention. It was almost like it happened in the workplace, so to speak. So what was the question they asked? I love this because it's indicative of who they were and what they knew. They came from the east. They traveled over a thousand miles, much farther than we traveled, the American family, right? 276. They had a long journey. But what did they say? Where has he been born king of the Jews? Hey, they knew who they were looking for. They were looking for a king. And it says, for we saw his star when it rose and, and we've come to worship him. So what was their intention? If we double click on this word worship, we're gonna see it three times in the text. And each time it's this idea that it means to adore and, and to respect and to honor. It literally, the Greek translation is that it's like, it's like you, to kiss the hand up. These guys knew what they were looking for. These guys knew who they were looking for. And isn't it true that sometimes when we think we're seeking God, he's almost seeking us, isn't it? That star that revealed so much. 
I like to say it like this. Think about it with me. It's been true of me. Maybe it's been true of you. It's true of these wise men. When you seek God, you are sought by God. And guess what? When you search for God, you are found by God. And when you ask about God, you get answers from God. I remember Jody and I, and so thankful she's sitting here in the third row. And um, that usually brings a big applause when she's here. But um, thanks, honey, for coming to church. I mean, it's nice that you came. But uh, in all seriousness, no. So, so we, you know, we didn't, I say that only because we didn't really go to church. I mean, we first got married. We didn't go to church. We came from not a church like this. We didn't know the gospel. And, and there was a time the first year of our marriage. And what we were doing is we were seeking. And there was an individual, and Jody, well, remember this story, that there was a woman who was a stranger, and she quoted a verse to us. We didn't even know it was a verse. And she said, when you search for him and seek him, you will find him when you search for him with your whole heart. And we're like, we didn't even know that was in the Bible. It's in Jeremiah. And so we just did it. And I'll never forget this period because we would ask questions in the morning over a cup of coffee and we would verbalize what they were, questions about Jesus and about the Bible and could this be true, is it reliable and, and, and questions about, about God. And then I kid you not, man, I'm telling you, like it was yesterday, we would get the answer by the end of the day whether it was through a radio program that one of us was listening to or a book that we happened to be reading or some stranger that told us. I, I mean, God revealed himself to us. He sought us as we were seeking him. How many people have had that experience to be true? And, and it's such an awesome thing. Let me tell you about an author that you're probably, many might be aware of, C.S. Lewis. He's an individual that I'm telling you, man, this guy... He's an atheist. He was. He was an Oxford grad. I mean, this is one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. I mean, this guy, he, he had a brain that was just like, whoa, philosopher. And he became a Christian at age 32. Listen to how he puts it. This same thing. He says it better than I could. He says, continue seeking God with seriousness. That, man, this is a big deal. Like your life depends upon it. What? This is about the afterlife. This is about now. He says, seek God with seriousness Unless he wanted you, you wouldn't be wanting him. Isn't that a good way to say it? Man, here we think we're seeking after him. And he's seeking after us. Second S word this Christmas that we want to learn from this second or third Christmas so that we can respond to this Christmas in the same way. It's surrender to the king. Surrender. And the truth of the matter is this, that not everyone who seeks the king will surrender to the king. That's an interesting thought. Because not everyone that seeks him is going to surrender. Here we see it's true of Herod. And Herod was seeking him for the wrong motives. He was afraid of this kid. He thought he was going to lose something. His kingship. But isn't it true as we surrender to the king, there's some things that we need to give up. And, and Psalm 37 verse 4 says that we delight in the Lord. He gives us the desires of our heart. So what we think we're giving up is actually a change of perspective, a change of heart is we begin doing what God wants and thinking as he thinks. Look at Herod and you'll see this for yourself because in verses 7 and 8, he summoned the wise men secretly and don't be fooled because he says to them and he's twisting his mustache as he says that. So thankful to have a mustache now that I can twist. And he says this. 
He says, go search diligent for the child. And when you found him, bring me the word that I too may come in. Here's that word, worship him. That I may kiss his hand. That I may revere and adore him. Yeah, right. That wasn't his objective at all. We can see it in verse 16. And this gives us indication of the time period or the timeline of this particular story. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, they didn't listen to him. He became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Question, why did he choose two years old or younger? Well, because Jesus must have been two years old. So this wasn't the first Christmas and this is probably the strongest evidence that we have. It's seated throughout the text that this wasn't even the second Christmas. This was quite possibly the third Christmas. And so Jesus was what? Well, on the third Christmas, Jesus would have been in his terrible twos. However, they weren't terrible for him. They were terrific because he was sinless. Not like your two-year-old and the rest of mankind. But isn't it true that, that this Herod, if you look closely at the text in verse four, he knew that he was the Christ and so did the religious leaders. Now what that means, it's very important because the Christ means the anointed one. This was the long anticipated deliverer of Israel. And yes, we know a lot more, but that's who they were waiting for, for centuries. And he, and he was here and, and, and they knew it. They had sought the king, but they wouldn't surrender to the king. And the same is true of many people today. And I'm telling you, it breaks our hearts. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That, man, you want to see people seek and surrender. But if I can be honest, you say, well, why should I? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I got some doubts. I was invited here. I, like, why should I surrender to this king? Like, you got to give me some, Why? That's such a good question, and I gotta tell you this. This is a church where you can ask any question you want. Think about it this way. I love that this passage says, the first thing they arrived and they said, where is he? Man, they ask questions. And wise people ask questions. And when you're seeking the king, there's no stupid question at all. But let's let Jesus answer your questions. Let's not let me do it. Let's look at Jesus not as a three-year-old. Let's look as an adult in his 30s. And what did he say? Let's take a look at from his voice. Jesus said he came from heaven. He's like, I'm out of this world, man. I'm unique. I'm different. I'm not like the rest of mankind. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but of him who sent me, i.e. translated, I'm on a mission from God. God's the one that sent him. And what was his mission? Well, let Jesus say it himself. Don't let me say it. Let him speak today. Jesus said that what? He not only came from heaven, he didn't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. That's why he came. Luke chapter five, he said, I didn't come for those who don't need a physician, those who think they're okay, those who are doing all great, those who are climbing the ladder, those who don't see their need. He, he said, I came for those to call the, not the righteous, but the unrighteous, the sinners to repentance. What's that mean? That's the gospel. That as we lie our head on our pillow at night, I think all of us will agree, man. I did some things that I'm ashamed of. and Maybe they're a lot more recent than I want to admit, but I have to think back over time and when I was in college and when I did that. And, and man, there's some mistakes that I've made. And 
man, I, I haven't lived my life according to even what I think is good, let alone what God does. And that's just the reality that we're all sinners and we fall short of God. But God provides a solution to that, man. We don't gotta be stuck right there. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is about. And well, let Jesus say it. He said he came to forgive sin. He told the paralytic that, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, how can he do this? How can he say that? And let me remind you of a verse that it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and true to forgive us our sin. Man, I would suggest to you that that's what Christmas is all about. This child became a man and this man went to the cross and he paid a price that no one else could pay that the perfect son of God was the sacrifice for my sin. And that where would I be today? Where would you be today? Where would you, if you're watching online, be today without the forgiveness of sin? Man, I'd be lost. Man, I wouldn't be here. And so Jesus said he could forgive sin. That must mean he said he's God. God's the only one that can do that. God's the only one that can give you a clean slate and give you a fresh start. I mean, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus said it again. Don't let it tear from me. I am, I and the Father are one, he said. I mean, he must be a liar or a lunatic. I mean, that's craziness. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And here he told the religious leaders and he was teaching people that they would reject him and the chief priests and the scribes. And, and he said he would be killed. And he, he told his guys, hey man, after three days, I'm going to rise. We know what that means. They didn't have a clue. And what's the next thing? Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. I mean, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's why I have to die. And nobody can come to the Father except through me. Again, he's either a liar or a lunatic. I mean, is this guy crazy if you take him at his word? And then he says this, lastly. He said, whoever believes in me, he believes in God. And that belief is, it's gotta, it just can't be intellectual consent. For years, for me, it was just in my head. I, I had an understanding of this Jesus, but... I didn't know why, it had never hit my heart and it never touched my hands. It, it needs, our faith needs to touch our head and our heart and it needs to be exhibited in who we are and what we do. And, and so that's why Jesus came and that's why he wants us to surrender to him that, that this Jesus is who he says he is. And, and so let's hear again from C.S. Lewis, I think, He's the best thinker that I can think of to think through. Uh, what do you do with all the things that he said? And people say, well, he's just a great teacher. He's a good prophet. Well, what does he say? He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. He's like this, don't be stupid. Stupid people say this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is C.S. Lewis, not me. Much smarter. He says, that's the only thing we must not say. Because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. We've just seen that. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, interesting analogy, or else he'd be the devil of hell. I mean, 
You, you, you must not make, you gotta make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He was not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Man, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or lore. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. What can we learn from the third Christmas about this Christmas? I'm just asking that this is how we're to respond. And so as we seek him, we need to surrender to him. As we surrender to him, we need to serve him. That's the third S word, that that we would serve the king. And, And I love this because here in the story, we see the wise men not listen to Herod, and they go and find this child who they were looking for, and they serve him with gifts. They give him prophetic gifts. They don't give him the gifts like we give gifts. They, they didn't give him a train set or they didn't give him a tricycle. I mean, they, didn't, they, they gave him prophetic gifts and that's to inspire us to give what? Practical gifts of our time and our talents and our treasure and that's what we're to lay before him. But in a moment, let me explain these gifts because they were prophetic in what they said about him. But first, let's get some more evidence. Look what it says closely. And going into the house, it doesn't say manger. And it says going, they saw the child. It doesn't say baby. And they said they, they fell down and worshipped him. So first things first, before we get to the major application for today, let me give you some minor application. As soon as you leave the service, get home. Do not stop and have lunch. Get home. Go to that manger. Take those three kings out of it. Are you hearing me? Take those three kings out of the manger, put them in the garage, put them in the basement. I mean, put them up in the attic. I mean, they were traveling for a year, for goodness sake. Get them out of the manger. And then listen, when you go over to that friend's house or that relative's house this Christmas, and you're going to think of this, you're going to see those kings, don't make a big deal about it. Just slip them into your pocket. (laughs) Put them into your wife's bag. I mean, just take those things, and I don't know, if it was me, just saying if it was me, I'd go into the bathroom and just set them up somewhere on the toilet or something. And then you say, why would you do such a thing like that? I mean, after a long journey like that, wouldn't you need a little relief? So are we having some fun now or what? One person clapped for that. Man, you guys, come on, it's Christmas, man. You got shopping to do? You didn't get it done? All right, hey, listen. These guys did something unique. And their gifts were prophetic. Let me show you real quick. We heard a great testimony about this already. Wasn't it awesome to hear Stephen just sharing with us today? Let's praise God for that. What a great testimony. But but look, they gave him a gift of gold. And what was that gift of gold representative of? Well, they each carried significance. And that one was a sign of royalty. And so we studied already in Matthew chapter one, if you've been with us for the series and this genealogy, it was given to us to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy, the covenant to Abraham and to David. Jesus fulfilled that. And so they were acknowledging the royalty of who he was. And 
they gave him frankincense. And this is incense. It's like, you know, something that it was a significant because it signified and symbolized his deity. That just as the prophet Isaiah had said 700 years forward, uh, back, excuse me, that Emmanuel was coming. Emmanuel was coming. And this Emmanuel is God with us. That this Jesus is not just some ordinary person. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. And lastly, this gift of myrrh, it's the most unique because you're like, why are you giving that to a three-year-old? It was for burial. It was a spice that was used for a tomb. I mean, why would you get, well, it was a prophetic gift about who he was and what he would do. Again, just as these gifts that they gave prophesied who he was and what he would do, the gifts that we give to him, the practical gifts, gifts of our time and our talents and our treasure that, that we would serve him. I love what Mark Twain says. Mark Twain says it like this. He says, the two most important things that you got to know or questions that you got to answer, once you get these two things, it's like this. When you were born, and after that, why you were born. Not only when, but why. And we were born to glorify God, to worship the king, I mean, these wise men, they had some significant understanding of that truth, just like us, that we would serve him. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. Let's just go to him one more time. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Isn't that a great pace? Hey, man, let's set our sights high. And he says, aim at earth. And man, you get neither. So lastly, our last S word, once you seek him and you surrender and you serve him, man. This is the time. Christmas is a time to share the king. That's what it is about. And this is a time not to keep it inside and that we would share him. I love in verse 12 because what God did is he provides some more divine intervention for these kings or these magi or these, as we've said, wise men to get back to their place. And he had an objective for them. He warned them to go another way and so let me ask you this. Do you think they ever forgot that trip? I mean, how could they? I mean, I bet you if you rub shoulders with them in heaven, you see them standing over there and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah. and you come over and they'll start telling you about it. And they, yeah, Paul over there. That's the apostle Paul. Have you talked to him? That's Peter too. That's John. That's all the disciples. Yeah, they all hang out all the time over there. You see them over there? Hey, us over here, we were the ones you call magi, the ones you call kings. We were the wise guys. I'm telling you what, they all think they're the first evangelists. We were the first. We were evangelists before they were born. Are you telling me that? That, that what? That we were the first ones to worship the child as king. And so I think I can be bold enough to say it because they were bold enough to, if they were bold enough to declare who they were looking for, I believe they were bold enough to share who they found. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That is who we came to worship. And so, five days until Christmas, it isn't all about shopping, although get that shopping done. It's about this. It's time to seek. And maybe you have 
been seeking after him. And I just tell you, my heart is, man, if you just seek after him, my experience and the experience here, man, he's going to reveal more to him. If you honestly and openly just ask the questions, get around the people, read his word. And then for those that are seeking, man, your time for surrender needs to come. And I know it's not that we give everything all at once, but we got to be willing to, to loosen the grip and and to surrender one thing at a time. What is that thing that you need to surrender him in this season of your life? And then I'm so thankful, man, for the many people who are serving the king. Yesterday we had, I don't even know how many people were here we gave gifts to. How many gifts did we give last night? Yesterday. Over a thousand gifts we gave to people who were families who were in need. That, I mean, those are people just looking to serve the king. And then lastly, we would share the king. And that's my heart's desire for each of us in this season is that we share who he is and what he came to do. In a moment, you're going to hear a story from a couple who Jody and I, we, we love them. We've got so much respect for them. They're people that understand this. They put some time in doing this. And through the highs and the lows, and the peaks and the valleys and the blessing and sometimes the difficulty, they've experienced that because their faith is the anchor to their life. Their faith is, it's like the bedrock, man. It's, it's what's holding them down. It's what they can count on. It's what they can rely in. And as you hear this story, I just want you to think through your faith. And I just simply ask you, is your faith the anchor? Is your faith the bedrock that's getting you through, man, the good and the bad, the blessing and the difficulty, the high and the low, the peak and the valley? And then after, Pastor Craig's going to challenge each of us. Take a look at the screen with me. Before it happened, I thought that it's a beautiful day. We're going to do this yard work, and then we're probably going to take a walk or something. We were cutting down trees, Tim cutting them, and I was pulling them to the back. Then he decided he was going to go up one more time, and he just fell like a sack of potatoes, just boom. There was a crack, and he just fell. I screamed his name, and I ran to him. He wasn't moving. He wasn't making any noises. I yelled to my neighbors to call 911, and it was like, this is the ambulance I'm getting in. This is the hospital I'm going to. This is the policeman I'm talking to. This is the emergency room doctor I'm talking to. I had absolutely no control. There was no guarantee of anything. They wanted to right away, once they got him stable, figure out, did he have any brain uh, bleeds? There was just a sliver, which can mean, you know, he could have an aneurysm and die, or it could be nothing. That was July 11th. That's the last thing that I remember until the day that I sort of woke up. I assumed it was July 12th. She said, no, it's August 28th. It's almost September. Just kind of a, a moment where time has gone by and you weren't conscious of it. Ended up breaking my clavicle, C1, all of the ribs on this side, 
later I was talking to Jill and Jill said, they had to recreate your, your pelvis. The time that it was the scariest, he wasn't experiencing it. Sometimes his eyes would be, you know, I don't know, trying to say something to me. I hoped that he was knowing who I was. You cry out to God and go, I, I can't, I don't know, I can't move. I don't know how, what to do. And so I sing, cast all your cares upon you, lay all of your burdens down at your feet. And any time, I don't know what to do, I will cast my cares upon you. And so I'd sing that for him, and then I would Every kiss him, night. and then I would leave. So great. And even two nights ago was a really, really hard night for us. And he was yelling and crying, and we're just a mess. And I grabbed his phone, and I pushed that song on, and we just sat and listened to God say, cast your cares upon me. I got it. God did not promise him to be fully restored. God just promised that he would be with me no matter what. And God was gonna be with Tim no matter what. And I didn't know what that outcome was gonna be, but I knew that there was a purpose for it. Even in, in some of the toughest times, there are so many instances that I have to be grateful for. How am I not a quadriplegic? How is it that I fell in such a way that I lived through the damage that I sustained? I don't know the full extent that God is going to use this, but it's not over yet. I know that for a fact. I prayed, and I know that people prayed around us, that this would be a story that would be a part of our grandkids' faith. Remember when Pops fell out of the tree? Remember how God was there for him? Remember how we prayed and we prayed and we prayed? Those are the moments as he was asleep that I had the privilege of being part of. A therapist that we ran into whose husband was not a believer, he now is. I don't know that that happens without me falling from that tree. I mean, people always say this, it'll never trade it for anything. But goodness, I really wouldn't because I've seen God in such a huge, huge way. That is the miracle for me. I knew that God was seeing every detail. And in his seeing, he is the God of action too. He's the God of healing. He is the God of comforting. He is the God of changing. He's the God of miracles. There's so many miracles that we don't even know about. So many, so many mercies, but, so many yeah. blessings. He's so loving and so kind and so just a God of second chances. I love him. I love him too. I love you.